Father, just pray the Spirit will be present. Uh, Lord, we're going to talk about the nitty-gritty of what it means to follow you day by day and the battles we sometimes encounter with temptation. Be with me as I share. Uh, quicken my mind with your Spirit. And uh, Lord, we really want to hear your voice speaking through the Word. And we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right after Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened. The Holy Spirit came down. There was a voice from heaven that said, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What happened to Jesus at baptism is an experience that everybody should be able to claim when they're baptized. You become an adopted son or daughter of God. The heavens are open for you. The Bible says they saw, you will see in a new way. Uh, there's a washing that takes place. Christ began his ministry at his baptism. God has a new work for you to do. He gives you a new power. The Bible tells us in uh, Peter, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is unto you and your children and as many as the Lord God will call. God has promised to give you his spirit when you make a decision to follow him. But Pastor Doug, after I decided to follow him, I ran into all these temptations and all these trials. Join the club. Jesus did too. Immediately after his baptism, he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, and the devil there went after him with everything he had. After the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, and they said, Hallelujah, free at last, free at last, we're on our way to the Promised Land, what happened? They call it the wilderness of temptation. They got into the wilderness, and their problems weren't over, they just had a new set of problems. And so when you become a Christian, don't think for a moment that that means that there's no struggles. The struggles are different. It is so much better to be in the wilderness on the way to the promised land than to be a slave back in Egypt. Can you say amen? amen. It's like uh, you've heard many times before, I may not be what I ought to be, but I thank God that I'm not what I used to be. And you may be struggling along the way in the Christian life, but it is so much better than the slavery of sin and just giving in to the devil. There's only two roads. There's only two masters. And if you make up your mind to follow Jesus, it says, take up your cross daily. Paul said, I die daily. You will experience sort of a new birth daily. It's a daily walk. You pray for bread how often? Give us this day, our daily bread. And that's also not just talking about food. It means give us this day, our daily bread, because this is what you need to fight the temptation. I don't remember if it was Aesop or one of the ancient philosophers told the story about a fox that offered a skylark, the bird, a young skylark. He said, I will give you a worm, because I can dig for worms, I'll give you a worm for one feather. I don't even want a big feather. Just give me one of your little feathers. And he said, well, if I come anywhere near you, you'll eat me. He said, no, I'll dig up the worm. I'll leave it here. You leave a feather. We're good. I won't get anywhere near you. And so the bird thought, well, that was a deal. And he was hungry, and he's tired of looking for the worms. And the fox laid out a big old juicy worm, and the feather plucked off a little feather. He said, I got a lot of feathers. And left it for the fox, and he went and enjoyed his worm. 
And uh, the next day, the fox said, would you like a couple more worms? He said, yeah, I'd like a feast. So he plucked off two feathers. And this went on day after day. And he'd go out flying with his father. And the father would say to the young skylark, oh, we should be so thankful and rejoice because God has given us these powerful wings to soar through the heavens. And we can fly closer to God with these wings. And all he could think about was the worms. And soon he landed and the fox brought him three worms. He plucked out three feathers. And he started noticing he was getting a little mangy on the front with the little feathers, so he plucked off some of the big ones off the wing. This went on, and you know how it ended. Eventually, the father said, the time has come. We're heading south for the fall. And the young skylark, had, uh, he was so full of worms and so void of feathers, he went running and bouncing, trying to hop into the air, and he could not get off the ground. And then the fox had a good meal. And there's a lot of young people out there that are selling their wings for worms. Little by little, we sacrifice our principles. You ask a farmer how a cow gets lost. Cow doesn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to run for it. What the cow does is he's going along eating. The cow is only thinking one tuft of grass to the next. And after he gobbles up one tuft of grass, then he looks and he sees another one. He says, oh, that one looks good. And he, then he goes and he nibbles on that one. And then he nibbles on that one. And then he nibbles on that one. And, and the farmers will tell you that the cows nibble their way into being lost. Little by little. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. You know how the Soviets admit they were able to recruit American spies. They would never go to an American citizen and say, here, give us a top secret document and we'll give you $1,000. They would go and they'd say, could you give us the address to this office? They'd give, ask for something small and insignificant. They probably already had it anyway. And they'd say, oh, you'll give me $1,000 for that? It's in the phone book. Sure. Small thing. All they would do, though, is they would step by step get them to violate their principle and once they found they could get them to violate the principle in something that seemed insignificant, it became easier and easier until they were handing over top secret information that was going to cost lives. Step by step is how the devil works, little by little. Every day in our walk through life, we are going to feel a tug between two forces, the spirit and the flesh. Every time you say yes to God and no to the devil, it gets easier to say yes to God. Sometimes it's a struggle. But every little battle you win makes the next battle easier. I talked earlier about stopping smoking. I often reference that just because it's a, a good template to talk about temptation. Um, I found that it was sometimes it would scare me to death to think about quitting smoking and never smoking again. If someone talks to you about never sinning again, doesn't that scare you? Because you know what your past has been. But when, when I would say, I wonder if I can go another 10 minutes, it wasn't so hard. I wonder if I could go another 10 minutes. And then pretty soon I realized, well, instead of smoking two packs a day, I only smoked one because I wonder if I get down to half a pack. Now, that's not the best way. The best way is cold turkey. I'm just telling you. But I found I made progress towards the cold turkey. 
by doing it in degrees that were manageable. You ever sung that song? Living with Jesus in new life divine, moment by moment, I'm kept by his love. Moment by moment. Walking with Jesus and resisting temptation is a moment by moment experience. So we're going to be talking about what that means and how to have those lives of victory. First of all, don't feel bad if you're tempted. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You would probably feel guilty if you raised your hand and said, yeah, I'm tempted to sin. But you know what? Everybody would raise their hand. Let's try it right now. How many are tempted to sin? Those of you who did not raise your hand, you're really in trouble. <laughs> because it's only when you're in the river and you don't feel the current, it's because you're flowing with it. If you cease to feel the current pulling you towards the waterfall, it's probably because you're not resisting. But if you're trying to live a Christian life, you're going against the flow, you're going to feel temptation. I remember somebody uh, talked to Pastor Billy Sunday one time. And Billy Sunday was always talking about sin and temptation. They said, Pastor Sunday, he said, you're just always rubbing the cat's fur the wrong way. You just always talk about sin and temptation. You're just rubbing the cat's fur the wrong way. Pastor Sunday said, well, if the cat would turn around, then I'd be rubbing the fur the right way. <laughs> but let's face it. And Joe Cruz used to always say, every message ought to talk about sin and salvation. Because that's the gospel. We've got a problem. We are under a death sentence because of sin. And Jesus has the answer, and he's offering us eternal life. And so we're all in this together. Don't feel bad if you're tempted. Jesus was tempted. Everybody's tempted. I remember reading a note from history. Shelby Foote is a Civil War historian. He was talking about the Battle of Shiloh. And this one soldier was injured in his leg at the battle. And the captain said, go to the rear. Well, it turned out they were surrounded that day. And so the soldier came back to the captain. He said, give me a gun. This battle ain't got no rear. <laughs> in your Christian battle, there is nowhere you can retreat where you are going to be free from temptation. Now, temptation comes in waves. Even Jesus, when he resisted the devil, those three great temptations, it says the devil left him for a season. Can you say amen for those seasons? Amen. And there are times when we've got some peaceful waters, but there's a lot of rapids that you face as a Christian. Now, it does get better. And the longer you walk with him, the, the better it gets. First of all, the devil is called the tempter. 1 Thessalonians 3, 5 for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might have been in vain. Paul was worried about temptation among the believers. The devil will tempt us by exploiting our own natural built-in evil desires. And what tempts you may not tempt me. And the thing that tempts me may not be for you. When you're fishing, you know you use different bait for different fish that swim at different depths in different kinds of water. The devil studies that we're all different. And he, some people who would never be tempted with some of the carnal temptations people face, they love money. And they're tempted with that. And uh, others, it's materialism. Matter of fact, there was a study that was written in a discipleship journal. This is a Christian a periodical. Readers ranked the areas of the greatest spiritual challenges to them, temptation. Materialism, pride, self-centeredness, these weren't necessarily in a particular order, laziness, 
anger and bitterness, sexual lust, envy, gluttony, lying. They came up with nine. It would have been better if they had ten. The survey respondents noted temptations were more poignant when they had neglected, more potent, sorry, when they had neglected their time with God. 81% said the temptations are a lot fiercer if I've not had my personal devotions. And when they were physically tired. Karen and I always try to schedule our arguments when we're tired <laughs> and on our way to church. You ever notice that? <laughs> so, yeah, you got to be on your guard. When did the devil come to Jesus? Tired and hungry. Low blood sugar. James 1, 12 through 15, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. How many want to be blessed? Blessed is the man and woman who endures temptation, which the Lord has promised to those that love him. I'm sorry. For when he has been approved, he'll receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those that love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. All the temptations we surrender to, little by little, we're losing our wings. We are moving towards death. When you resist temptation, you are moving towards life. The Bible says that we should walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You know that great passage there in Romans chapter 8. Everybody focuses on Romans 7 when Paul says, I do the thing I don't want to do. And they don't go to Romans 8 where he said, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, I thank God that he'll deliver me. I no longer have to walk after the flesh, but I can walk after the spirit. We don't talk enough about that, how to have lives of victory. Amen? Yes, you can. I have no patience for people that tell me that they can't change. I'm sorry. Don't, what do they say? Talk to the hand. <laughs> don't tell me that. <laughs> don't tell me you can't change. I mean, I've got a long way to go, don't misunderstand, but I mean, I was drinking and smoking and cursing and lying and just the Lord has made so many changes in my life that I have faith that he will finish what he started in my life. Amen. Step by step, we follow the Lord. And don't be discouraged if you fall. I want to make sure and make that message very clear. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. And so we're going to fall. The Bible says in many things we offend. But you've got to get back up again. Don't be discouraged. So we're all tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. Hebrews 2, verse 18, For in that he himself, Jesus, has suffered being tempted, he was able to help those who are also tempted. Christ was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Now, all temptation can pretty much be divided into three simple categories. Someone might say, well, Jesus never struggled with cocaine or tobacco or some of the things that might be exclusive sins today. There was no internet pornography back then. There are three temptations, three principal areas, and he overcame in those areas, meaning you can. 1 John 2.16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All temptation can fall into one of those three categories. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, 
His three temptations he overcame in those same three areas. Matter of fact, you might go with me to Matthew chapter 4 quickly, and let's just look at that. Matthew 4, and uh, you can start with verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Someone say, why would the Spirit lead him to be tempted? Well, the Spirit led him up to pray and prepare for his ministry. The devil tried to stop it. Don't forget, when did the Pharaoh make his greatest effort to destroy the Israelites? When they were getting away. When you start trying to pull away from the devil, he is going to go ballistic. He doesn't like losing ground. And so sometimes people say, Doug, you know, I started coming to this evangelistic meeting and, you know, things were, you know, not great, but they were okay. And I started coming to this meeting. Everything went sideways. And what's going on? And here I started getting closer to God. I'm trying to follow the Lord and all these trials. And I said, exactly. The devil is afraid. Look at what happened when the children of Israel tried to get out of Egypt. Look at the turmoil. Because being born again, a lot of births have pain involved. Did you know that? Where there's a new birth, sometimes there's labor and there's pain. And that's also true in spiritual births. And there's this turmoil, there's this resistance, and Jesus is beginning his ministry, and the devil came at him with all of his guns blazing. So don't be surprised if you make an effort to follow the Lord. It's just going through that transition. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry, you want to hear an amazing fact? The longest hunger strike was a man who was part of the IRA in um, when the, the struggles between the Protestants and the Catholics and the, um, in the British Empire there, and one of the men was in prison. I'm trying to remember his name now. Uh, I just know he went 73 days on a hunger strike, and they would not force feed him. And he ultimately starved to death. But uh, I've heard of people who've gone longer, but I, at least I know of that one. So when Jesus fasted for 40 days, you know, you can go without food a long time. Uh, you can't go without water. The only time they fasted without water, Paul went without food or water three days when he was fasting after having seen the Lord. That's like a severe fast. And they may have also had that kind of fast when Esther prayed. Uh, in the book of Esther. I don't remember. But uh, there's very rarely, and God don't recommend that kind of fasting. But I think Jesus had water. The devil didn't say, turn these stones into a canteen. He said, turn them into bread. So he hadn't eaten. And by the way, I'm getting ahead of myself. So the tempter came to him, and he said, if you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now Jesus, the reason this was a temptation is the devil saying, are you really the Son of God? And how do you think the devil appeared to Christ? Did, did the devil plop down on the ground out there in the desert and he had bat wings and a goatee and leotards and, and uh, uh, you know, pointy tail and a pitchfork, red leotards? He said, hi, I'm the devil. I've come to tempt you. Let me tell you what the first temptation is. How do you think he appeared? 2 Corinthians tells us in chapter 11, Satan can be transformed into an angel of light. And he came and he looked like a beautiful angel sent from God to comfort him. And he said, now, you've got to show that you really believe you are the Son of God. You're having some doubts now. And if you believe you're the Son of God, turn these stones. I think stones probably look like hot loaves. When you're hungry, they all look like loaves. Into bread. Jesus did not parley with the devil. 
He answered with the word of God. It is written, and he quotes Moses. All three times Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, which is one of my favorite Old Testament books. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the devil comes with temptation number two, and he takes him up, I'm in verse 5, Matthew 4, to uh, the holy city, and he sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, we don't know exactly how high that was. If you can believe Josephus, there was one pinnacle in the rebuilt temple of Herod that was 400 feet high. That's pretty high. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written. Wait a second. What's the devil doing quoting the Bible? He figured, I'll fight fire with fire. Jesus is going to use scripture. I'll use scripture. Does the devil know the Bible? You know, I'm surprised sometimes how many Christians think that owning a Bible somehow keeps you from sin. When I was a kid, they showed these vampire movies. And uh, if you had a cross, you could just hold up a silver cross and the vampire would recoil in terror. Uh, or if you had garlic. And I've met Adventists that believe that garlic keeps the devil away. I'm almost sure. They believe in righteousness by garlic and they come to church and sit in their own pew. <laughs> but that doesn't really work. Um, some people think it's just owning a Bible. I got a Bible. And have you ever seen, you know, some charismatic pastors? They, don't, they like shake the Bible as though the devil's going to go, oh, the Bible. The devil doesn't care if you own a Bible. He'll take it out of your hand. He'll read it to you. He'll misread it to you. Don't a lot of false pastors out there hold Bibles? So you need to know how to rightly divide the word. Because the devil, he even tried to twist the scriptures to deceive Jesus. Peter warned us that people would take the writings, especially of Paul, and twist them as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. There's plenty of people out there that can do the scripture twist. So you need to know how to rightly divide the word of God. So he says, it is written. He'll give his angels charge over you, he quotes Psalm 91. And in their hands they'll bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And he left out the part about keep you in all of your ways. So you're not like jumping off of temples. He just left that out conveniently. And Jesus, again, he goes right back. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It's amazing to me how simple the Lord was able to uh, come back. He didn't need a long philosophical argument because the truth is simple. You know when wrong is wrong. Now the devil's really starting to, to fret, and so he says, look, let's get right to the chase of it. You've come to redeem the world. I claim the world is mine. Adam and Eve sinned. They listened to me. They didn't listen to you. They surrendered dominion to me. You want dominion, Jesus? I'll give you dominion. Just acknowledge me as God. Fall down and worship me. You don't have to die and go through all the suffering on the cross. Just acknowledge me. We got a deal. Everybody's happy. I'll give you the world. That must have been a bigger temptation than you think. He said, look, let's have a truce. We've had this terrible war in heaven. We can settle it right now. Just declare that I'm the king of this world. Worship me. Not ten times, just once. He wouldn't do it, not even once. Neither would Daniel or Shadrach or Meshach or Abednego. And you're going to have to make the same decision in the last days. Because the big decision in the last days is going to be who do you worship? 
Will you put God first? You're going to be asked to compromise your worship. Some will worship the beast. Some will have the seal of God and worship God. And Jesus finally rebukes him, and he says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, only in him shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Angels. How do you think the angels ministered to him after 40 days of fasting? How did the angels minister to Elijah after 40 days? Actually, it was before 40 days for him. They fed him. And angels, did they minister to the children of Israel in the wilderness and give them bread? Will the Lord feed you when you fight with the devil? Will angels come to your aid? If you make up your mind that you want to do God's will and you resist temptation, God will send every angel in heaven to you rather than see you fall when you trust in him. God wants you to win in these battles. And he will brag about you when you do. The Bible says that if we confess Christ in this evil and adulterous generation, he will confess our name before the Father and the angels of heaven. But whoever denies him, he will deny us. What a shuddering thought. When Job was faithful, you know the Bible says Job was a perfect and upright man that loved God and hated evil. And God was bragging to the devil and his angels about Job. He says, have you considered my servant? You don't have Job. You might have a lot of people down there, but you don't have him. Wouldn't you like the Lord to say that about you? He can. The Bible tells us that Noah, Daniel, Job, Elijah, these are people subject to like passions as you and me. And yet through the power that is available to you, they became overcomers. You know, if anything, in this last generation, God wants to have a people that prove the devil wrong. God wants to have a people that will show the universe what can happen when we fully surrender to him. I think it was Dwight Moody who heard someone say one time, God has yet to see what the Lord can do with a person that has fully surrendered to him. And Dwight Moody heard that. He said, Lord, by your grace, I want to be that person. And he preached on two continents and started a great revival. Ellen White says, there is no limit to the usefulness of one who by laying self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's a loose quote, but it's in the book Desire of Ages. No limit to their usefulness. It's unlimited what God wants to do with you. All temptation can be successfully resisted. There's no excuse for sin. If there was, it's not sin. You know, you say the devil made me do it. Well, the devil can't make you. If he makes you, it's not sin. The devil did not hold down Adam or Eve and push the fruit in their mouths. They made a conscious choice. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation. How many? No, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. For God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Can you say amen? That means any temptation that comes, you are able. I want to park here for a moment. You are able. I used to always sing that during our evangelistic programs. You remember when uh, Moses sent the 12 spies to explore the promised land and two of the spies were so excited about the promised land, they came back with all the fruit and a positive report. They said, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. Ten of the spies, they just looked at all the problems. They said, oh, the enemy's bigger than we are. 
and they've defeated everybody else. And look at the walls of Jericho. And look at the giants in Hebron. We could never conquer these people. And the, they brought back a negative report. And the children of Israel had to believe, who do we listen to? They were all church members. Ten of the leaders came back and said, we are not able. That's a quote. They said, we are not able. Two of them said, we are able. That's called the minority report. They said, we are able. The people chose to believe the group that said, we are not able. And God said, if you don't believe you're able, then you will not be able. Jesus said, be it unto you according to your faith. And those who did not believe they were able to enter the promised land died in the wilderness. But God said, your children who have seen my miracles, they will believe in my power, they will go. And Joshua and Caleb made it because they believed. All things are possible to him that believes. Let me just put this to you another way. How many of you believe the devil can tempt you to sin? You're not sure how to answer. That's a simple question. How many of you never raise your hand for any pastor's questions? <laughs> how many of you believe the devil can tempt you to sin? I didn't say make you sin, tempt you to sin. He tempted Jesus to sin. Okay. How many of you believe the Lord can keep you from sin? And yet, you know, I meet people that say, they have no problem saying, well, we all sin, we're all weak, we all fall. And they're really easy to that. And I say, can Jesus keep you from falling? And they're a little slower in answering. It's like, you know, I might indict myself. But really what they're saying is, I've got more faith in the devil's ability to make me fall than Jesus' ability to keep me from falling. Aren't those the only alternatives you got? You got two forces, they're fighting for your heart. Do you believe that God can keep you? That doesn't mean you're not going to lose a battle, but you don't have to lose the war. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Amen? You can make it. Yes, you can. There's no sin. Can you name a sin to me God can't help you overcome? Can he help you with drugs? Can, has he given people victory over drugs? Can he help you with impure thoughts? Can he renew your mind? Can he help you with um, stealing? I used to be a thief. I'm not anymore. <laughs> yes, he can. He, you can't name a sin that he can't help you with. The only sin he can't help you with is the one you won't bring to him. But he can help you with everything. And he wants to, but he won't force you. You can have victory over your sins. Ephesians 6, 17. How do you do it? The Word of God. You put on the armor of God. Matter of fact, let's jump there very quickly. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, what, what do we do in the battle with temptation? Some of this, these points are, I get 12 points in the book here. We're hoping you'll take home and you'll read. I like what it says here in verse 12. I want to go back to verse 10. I like it all. Can we start at Genesis? No. <laughs> Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. How? In the Lord, in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You need every part of it. That you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, the evil day is a day of temptation. Having done all to stand, now I like what it says, withstand in the evil day, 
having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. Our theme here is rooted. There's storms coming. You need to be able to stand. And the way you can stand against the enemy is by putting on the armor of God. Amen? Stand therefore having girt, and there's seven things that are mentioned here. That's an interesting number. Having your waist girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the gospel of the preparation of peace. You need good traction if you're going to be in a battle. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench the, all the fire. How many fiery darts? All the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. And the seventh is praying always with all prayer. So you've got the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, the gospel shoes, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Six is the sword of the Spirit. Seven is prayer. Now these, this is not just all metaphors. This is talking about a way of life. The sword means you read your Bible. The gospel shoes, how beautiful on the mountain are those that share the good news. If you're out fighting, go. Jesus said, go. When the children of Israel began to follow the Lord, he said, put your shoes on. When the angel saved Peter from the prison, he said, put your shoes on. And when you start following Jesus, you put on your shoes, you begin a journey. That's exciting. It says you put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is where all the vitals are. You've got to guard your hearts. And that's why you, all, you notice there's nothing on the back because you don't turn your back on the enemy. You put on the helmet of salvation. That protects. You've got uh, seven openings in your head. You've got two eyes, two ears, two nostrils so you can see and hear and smell in stereo and one mouth. That's all we can handle. <laughs> there are these sacred openings. You've got to guard what comes in. And it's almost like an astronaut wears a helmet that keeps him alive or a scuba diver. They take off that diving bell at great depths, they die. They drown or you die in space. You're living here as a Christian in a foreign environment and you need to guard what you're taking into your minds because you will end up being what you feed on. You are what you eat spiritually too. And so you got to feed on the Word of God. Listen to, look at those things that are just and holy and pure and noble and good. And boy, I, I tell you, if I could park somewhere and just say this is what we really need to emphasize for young people, have the courage to say, I don't want to hear that story. I don't want to listen to you talk about that. I'm not going to look at that video. I'm going to guard my heart. I don't want to go there. Because when you don't do that, the impurity it just gets where you're used to it and you're just surrounded by garbage and you can get used to living by the dump so put on that helmet of salvation and then the prayer that's the atmosphere of breathing and of course the sword the sword all three times jesus was tempted it is written it is written it is written did jesus have a um, he have a bible in his backpack when he was fasting in the desert did he pull a scroll out and say, just a moment, I just so happen to have Deuteronomy with me, and that's why he quoted from Deuteronomy three times he had the scroll with him. Well, you might argue that, but I don't think so. You, do you know 10% of everything Jesus said when you read the Gospels, he's quoting the Old Testament, and not once does it say he was referencing, well, I take that back, when he stood up in the synagogue, he was reading from Isaiah. The other times, it's from memory. 
Christ had stored the word. The Bible does not say, Thy word I've hidden on the coffee table, that I might not sin against thee. Thy word I have hidden in my nightstand, that I might not sin against thee. God doesn't want the Bible under your pillow like a good luck charm. He wants you to store it in your heart. Karen and I used to always go to sleep listening to Bible tapes until tape players stopped working, cassette players stopped working. Now we have CDs. I would remember what I heard while I was awake, but I don't remember anything I heard while I was asleep. You got to consciously put the word in your mind. You won't tell you the best way to remember the Bible. The scriptures I remember are the ones that I shared with other people in giving Bible studies. If you use it, you get to keep it. If you don't use it, you lose it. But when you read something and you share it with somebody else, it seems like it's in a different part of your Bible, uh, your brain, and it's stored there. So you fight the enemy. You know one of my favorite stories in the Bible? You ever read about David's mighty men? David had a mighty man. His name was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. I just love that. <laughs> I never forgot his name because his father's name. <laughs> Poor guy. But Eliezer was a really brave soldier. And it tells about a couple of occasions where he earned the right to be a mighty man. One occasion in particular, it tells us that, um, and you find this both in Chronicles and in Kings, they were in battle with the Philistines. Eliezer and David were fighting, it says, on a barley field. And the men of Israel retreated under one of the onslaughts of the Philistines, but David would not retreat. You know, they say Alexander the Great was like that. One reason they were so uh, victorious in battle is because Alexander would lead them into battle and he wouldn't retreat and his men didn't want to lose him and so they went right up with him. And all the soldiers left David on this field except Ali Eliezer. And it says, and God gave them the spirit like he did Samson. The spirit of the Lord came on them and they fought the Philistines and they slew them. They went through them like a mowing scythe. And after uh, defeating the Philistines, it says Eliezer's sword clave to his hand. He couldn't let go. Now, I remember once I rode a motorcycle through the rain for hours. And when I finally got to my destination, I was so cold, I couldn't open up my hand and get it off. Some of you guys, I see you going. <laughs> and after clinging to it for so long, he couldn't let go of it. Would God we were all like that with our swords, or the Bible, amen? They were able to defeat the enemy because they had the word of God. Read his word, believe his word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin. The Bible says in 2 Peter there are promises we can claim. Chapter 1, verse 4, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature. Through reading the Word of God, there is power in the Word of God, and through it, you become like Christ. Christ is the Word. If you want Jesus in you, if He's the Word, as you read the Word, He comes in you. He says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, absorb me. And the best, most practical way we do that is through breathing Him in in prayer, through the Spirit, and reading Him in the Word, and just take Jesus in, take in His teachings, take in who He was. But you've got to make time for that. It's just a very practical thing. You've got to carve out time, devotions with God, 
are not found, they're made. It's not going to fall on you. You got to make an appointment with God. Feed on His Word. Pray for strength. Jesus said, watch and pray that you enter not temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen? We've all got these carnal natures, and so you need to pray. Jesus said there's a way to win in those battles. Watch and pray. Again, Luke 21, 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. The Bible says pray without ceasing. We need to be praying all the time. You want to be a serious Christian? Walk with God. Think about it. He's here now. How wonderful, how awesome is just God. I mean, even just thinking about how big he must be and how powerful, and yet he wants to commune with you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. You're here. Some are watching. You're making an effort to draw near to God. Cheer up. He says, I'll draw near to you. As soon as the father saw the prodigal son coming home, he ran to meet him. You draw near to God. He will draw near to you. And you do that when you pray. And then it combines the human with the divine. This is a very important point. In the battle with temptation, you need to make an effort. Um, there's a whole corrupt theology that seems to be going around in the Christian world. Some of it's even affected us. That Jesus does everything and there's no effort that you're supposed to make. That's just categorically not true. There's effort involved in life. You need to strive. You need to pray. You need to run. You need to war. You need to wrestle. Being, doing anything takes effort. And so the idea that you're just going to lay on your bed and pray for a job, uh, you know, you got to go knock on doors. And then God will answer your prayer. David, when he fought Goliath, he didn't stay back in the green fields and say, I declare you dead, Goliath. <laughs> That's the way some people, their theology. No, he had to get up and go get his stone and get his sling and go out and run and meet the giant. There's, there's battles involved in life. And so Jesus worked a miracle. I talked to you about the storm when the disciples were rowing and he came to them while they were rowing. And when they let him in the boat, they were at their destination, but they were rowing when he came. He saved them, but they were doing what they could do humanly. Let me tell you a quick story. Oh man, I'm feeling like I'm getting more and more sermon and less and less time. I wish I could pray like Joshua that time would stand still. <laughs> um, 10 lepers come to Jesus. They say, Lord, have mercy on us. He says, go make the offering for cleansing from leprosy. Well, that seemed odd to them because they still had leprosy and you make the offering when you no longer have it, but they did not argue and they turned and they went to go towards the temple to make the offering to thank the Lord for being saved from leprosy. The Bible says, in going, they were cleansed. As they took the first steps to do what Jesus told them to do, a miracle happened. When the Lord calls you to follow him, you're going to encounter temptation. Don't try to fight that temptation on your own, but take the first steps and say, Lord, save me. You take the first steps and you will see power will come to your aid. Let me give you a quote from the Spirit of Prophecy. This is Signs of the Times, February 14, 1878. The divine power combined with human effort will give to all perfect and entire victory. Every believing mind will be filled with conscious power. The language of the soul will be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God said to a cripple, get up. And when he made the effort to get up, the strength came to get up. 
the angel says to Peter, get up. He could have said, I can't get up. I got chains. When he made an effort to get up, the chains fell off. I've prayed with people before that says, I've tried to stop smoking. I've tried to quit drinking. So let's ask him right now. But before we pray, I'll say, I want to tell you about the five-minute plan. Have you heard about the five-minute plan? I said, do you have any cigarettes in your house? Uh, yeah. I said, let's get a garbage can. Let's tear them up, throw them in the garbage can. I've help people throw them in a wood cook stove, flush them down the toilet. Do you want to quit drinking? Yeah. Do you have any alcohol in the house? Well, yeah. So let's get it. Let's dump it down the toilet. Pastor Doug, I want freedom from pornography. Do you have any pornography? Yeah. Where are the magazines? Shred them. I know it's a little harder with the internet. But I'll pray with a person. They've smoked for years. And I'll say, do you believe God wants you to quit? Yes. Take the first step. Throw them away. Oh, but what if? I said, don't say that. Make a decision. Throw them away. Now let's pray. You've taken the first step. Now let's pray. And I can't tell you how many times people have come to me later and they say, Pastor Doug, I can't believe it. I've tried for years. God has given me a power. I have no desire. And the Lord has just taken away. The chains fall off. It doesn't always work that way. It was a battle for me, but I've seen the power of God. When you take the first steps, He gives you a supernatural power. Don't underestimate the power of God. Another tip for resisting temptation, avoid the areas of temptation. If your problem is alcohol, don't push your shopping cart up and down the alcohol section at Walmart. You ever heard my sermon called Cold Confession? You need to look up cold confession. I'll tell you about my addiction to ice cream. It was really, really bad. <laughs> I mean, it went on for 30 years. No, longer than that, 40 years. And it was so bad. I mean, I was eating like a, sometimes a pint a day. I know it doesn't look like it, does it? Yeah. <laughs> but I would push my shopping cart back and forth through the frozen food, wrestling in my mind. I mean, it was awful. I don't have time to preach that to you, but just, you're just you know, listening to that. Cold confession, look that up. So stay away from the things that tempt you. Flee sexual immorality. You young people, you don't want to get in trouble? Don't get off by yourself with the opposite sex, with nothing planned, and then wonder why nature takes over. You've got to avoid. Someone said bananas don't get in trouble until they leave the bunch. You need to avoid getting in those compromising situations. Several times the Bible says flee temptation. Flee sexual immorality. Make no provision for the lusts of the flesh. Flee youthful lusts. Avoid those places of temptation. And then fix your eyes on Jesus. You become like what you look at. If you spend your time focusing on Christ, filling your mind with Him, thinking about Him, you may not see a change overnight. Don't be discouraged. But little by little, you will change. I am a different creature now than I was when I first came to the Lord. I've learned a new way to talk, a new way to live, a new way to think, but it didn't happen overnight. The Bible says, learn to do good, Isaiah chapter 1. You've learned to do wrong all your life. You come to Jesus, you've got to now learn to do good. And that takes time. You can be justified in a moment. But sanctification takes time. And it's learning to live a holy life. Well, I don't have time to. I've got 12 points in the books we'll give you tonight. Let me just maybe sum it up with this. If 
Three things I told you that are the secret weapons. You remember what they are? I mean, let me put it to you differently. When I lived up in the cave, there was an old Jewish Christian. We called him Brother Harold. I don't even know what his last name was, but anybody that lived on the streets back then knew Brother Harold. Matter of fact, one of you here gave me a book yesterday about another hippie converted in Tockwitz Canyon. I was reading it, and I bet he knew Brother Harold. Uh, I'm not the only one that was up in a cave back then. Uh, and this fellow, he would wake up. He was like 65 years old when I met him. He'd go to the hospital, and he would volunteer his time and quote from the scripture by memory to all the different patients. He'd pray with them. He'd wake up about four in the morning. He'd read the Bible in Hebrew and Greek and English. He was a brilliant guy, very humble man. Um, I used to see him hand out signs. He'd hand out tracts on the corner and just say, tell everybody Jesus loves you. He learned how to say Jesus loves you in all these languages because these tourists from all over the world would come to Palm Springs. And his face would just shine. I saw this guy praying and his face shone. He knew the Lord. One day he was riding his three-wheel bicycle up Ramon Road in Palm Springs and he saw me walking by myself. He knew me. I was one of the, the street people. And... Uh, Doug, how are you doing? He knew I had accepted Jesus, but I was struggling with temptation, as young people do. I said, well... He said, Doug, how, how long can you hold your breath? Well, I was glad he asked, because I thought I was pretty good at that. I said, I can hold my breath four minutes. He said, you shouldn't go any longer than that without praying. He said, how often do you eat? He said, two, three times a day. He said, that's how often you ought to meditate on the Word of God or read it. And he said, what's going to happen if you don't get any exercise? He said, well, you get weak and flabby. He said, that's what's going to happen to your Christian experience if you don't share it. He said, you have a spiritual body, and it is governed by rules, just like you've got a physical body that has rules. If you want to have spiritual life, you need to take care of your spiritual body. And you need to breathe, you need to eat, you need to move. We need to read our Bibles, Get on a regular schedule. Do whatever you can do to remember to pray. And I get busy. Here, I'm a pastor. I get so busy, I forget to pray. I heard about a girl. She'd throw her shoes under her bed at night, and her mother said, why are you doing that? She'd say, because i got to get on my knees to get them out in the morning. I remember to pray. <laughs> do whatever it takes. Put, on, put a note on your phone. It goes off and beeps. It's a prayer. Nathan does that. His phone will start beeping. I said, what's going on? He says, I'm supposed to pray. Make a note, pray, and then share your faith in some way every day. Try and give out a track. Do something to exercise your faith, and it will grow. That's the secret weapon. You know, if you enter Yellowstone Park, I've never been there, but I read about it. I know I ought to go. Isn't that sad? I've been all over the world. never been to Yellowstone. I can't take it seriously. I grew up watching Yogi the Bear, and I just think of, <laughs> I think of Jellystone. When you enter the park, they give you a brochure that says, please don't feed the bears. But you don't have to go very far before you'll run into some tourists that ignore the rules. And the bears, they know to come up to the doors and people are giving them donuts and treats and cookies and whatever junk food they got in their cars. And one of the tourists went up to the ranger and he said, you, you tell everyone don't feed the bears. He says, look, these people are feeding the bears over there. And the guy just folds his arms and says, I know, it's just, they don't listen. And he said, uh, it's really sad because if they saw what we saw, once the park closes and winter comes, 
The winter storms bring in the snow and it gets cold. These bears have not learned to feed themselves. And they starve and we go around with backhoes and we pick up their frozen bodies and we bury them because they didn't learn to feed themselves and make it through the storm. Friends, there's a storm coming. You need to be rooted in the Word of God. You can't depend on what a pastor might give you once a week. God's people need to learn to feed themselves. And if you do, you'll know the Lord. You can't obey God if you don't love Him. You're not going to love Him unless you know Him. The way you know Him is by communicating with Him. He talks to you through His Word. You talk to Him in prayer. When you know Him, you will love Him. When you love Him, it's so easy to keep His commandments. What's the best reason to resist temptation? Because you love God. When you love someone, you don't want to hurt them. Would you like to love God more? Do you believe that a storm is coming? You see what's on the horizon in our world? We need a revival among God's people. What a wonderful place for it to begin. If we would all just really spend time in the Word and hunger and thirst after God and righteousness, you'd see the Holy Spirit break out and spread in ripples and waves from, from this place. And I pray it might. Can I pray with you before we close? Just bow your heads where you are. Lord, my appeal tonight would be a general one that all of God's people here, especially the young people, those who may be watching, that the Holy Spirit might convict us that we need to know you better. We need to hunger and thirst for your righteousness and spend more time in your word, on our knees, sharing our faith and letting our light shine. And I pray right now in our hearts and our minds we'll do practical, tangible things to do that. I pray, Lord, that there would be a revival. Fill us with your spirit. We know temptation comes, but when Jesus was baptized, you gave the spirit. And when we make a decision to follow you, you will give us your spirit. Pour your Holy Spirit on us. Bless each of these people, Lord, and I pray that uh, there'll be a revival uh, during this, uh, on this campus and as we prepare for your return. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.